One day, Lou Gehrig, the famous New York Yankees first baseman, came to the plate at the end of a big game. When Lou stepped up to the plate, there were already two outs in the ninth inning, and the potentially winning runs were on second and third base. The count against Lou Gehrig went to full count, three balls and two strikes. The pitcher wound up, and he let the ball go with all of his might. His pitch was a smoking fastball right down the center of the zone, right across the middle of the plate, and Gehrig watched it go by without so much as a flinch. <laughs> the umpire called strike three, and, of course, the game was over, and everybody was going crazy. And as they went crazy, Gehrig turned back to the umpire and said something. At this, the crowd went wild because Gehrig never spoke to the umpire. And all of the reporters swarmed down at the field and they're asking the umpire, what did he say, what did he say, what did Gehrig say? And the umpire just, umpire just smiled and he called for Lou Gehrig and he says, come on over here. And, and he said, Lou, tell these men what you just said to me when I called that third strike. And Lou replied, oh, shucks. He said, Mr. Ump, I'd give $10 to have that one back. And that's all he said. All of us have regrets. All of us have said or done something that we wish we could take back. All of us have missed opportunities to do something, something that we coulda, woulda, shoulda, if we could have. Webster's Dictionary defines regret as sorrow arise by circumstances beyond one's control or power to repair. Regret is the sadness that we feel when we think about the mistakes we've made and our powerlessness to make things right again. Regret is what a man feels when he planned to ask a woman out but lost his nerve and only to see that she ends up with someone else married to them. Regret is when we hesitate to take a new job because it's a lot out of our comfort zone. We can't imagine ourselves doing that. And then we discover later that it would have been the dream job if we'd only had the nerve to say yes. Regret is when we keep doing something we know is bad for us, and yet we feel powerless to change. The regrets we hold on to may be about big things or small things, the things we hold on to may be about what we did or what we did not do when we had opportunity. Either way, we wish we could go back and relive that moment again and come up with a different story. Jesus told a parable about a man who regretted how he had lived his life while he was here on earth. It's in Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is a miserable picture. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. 
But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This rich man obviously wasn't happy with what he had done or what he had become. He regretted the choice he had made to live a life of wanton pleasure and ignore the people around him who were less fortunate than himself. Now I imagine there was no doubt that he was shocked to find out he was in Hades. You know, that's not where he thought he would end up. He was not in heaven as he expected to be, but he could look across and he could see Abraham there and he could see this man, this poor man that had just lingered around the, the, the table hoping for crumbs from his table over there with him. It didn't make any sense. And then he begged Abraham to warn his brothers so that they would not make the same mistake. By contrast... We see another person in Scripture. His name is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege, and he said, you know, I have no regrets about how I have lived, especially since the time I came to know Jesus Christ. Since the time I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, indeed, Paul did have regrets about how he had lived his life before he met Jesus, but he never regretted what he had done after he started living for Jesus, writing from prison, knowing that he may soon be executed, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Notice this. He says, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his coming, his appearing. Now Paul looked back at the life that he had lived for Christ, and he had no regrets. He knew that with Christ's help, he had finished the race, and he had kept the faith. He knew that the Lord would be waiting for him across the finish line, holding his reward in his hands. Oh, that we would live lives like Paul did after we come to Christ. You know, often we don't handle our regrets very well, do we? You know, we have regrets. We wish we had done something different or we wish we had done something that we never did. Sometimes we try to minimize those regrets and say, well, it's not really any big deal. We may try to rationalize them or maybe we compare our mistakes to the much bigger mistakes that someone else has made. Sometimes we try to excuse our mistakes by playing the blame game, passing the responsibility of our mistakes on to someone else. We might even hear ourselves saying sometimes, you know, if that guy hadn't done what he did, I would never have done what I did. Of course, 
The opposite extreme is to let our regrets gain control of our lives. We might get so caught up in our regrets and looking back that we find we cannot move on with our lives. And just as the devil uh, uses our guilt and shame, which we talked about earlier this summer, to, to stop us from doing what we can for Christ, so he tries to use our regrets to immobilize us and to hold us back from the plans God has for us. God has allowed us to have regrets for some reason. And I think the reason is so that we will be motivated to make the changes we need to make. He doesn't want us, however, to wallow in our regrets and never move forward. That is not their purpose. So if you have regrets this morning, and I'm probably confident that all of us do, if you don't know what to do with those regrets, then let me suggest some steps. And I think these are good scriptural steps. First, we need to acknowledge our regrets. We need to admit them to ourselves. We need to own our regrets. We need to humble ourselves and say, you know, there's some things I've done I shouldn't have done. There's some things I wish I had done that I never did. There are things that, that I'm not proud of and things that, that I'm ashamed of, but I admit them. I acknowledge them that I have hurt God, that I have hurt other people. Because it doesn't do any good to avoid our regrets or to try to excuse ourselves from the mistakes we've made. The first step of faith is to acknowledge that we have done something wrong. So we need to name them. We need to say, this is what I've done. This is the truth of the matter. Secondly, we need to admit them to God. And we need to receive the forgiveness that only He can give us. Admitting our regrets to God is confessing our sins and uh, showing that we are serious about making a change. We confess our sins, our shortcomings to God, and then we repent of those so that God uh, will see our seriousness and God will bring us the cleansing that we need. God, who knows when we are being sincere, when we are not, can wipe the slate clean by His grace. God, who knows when we truly want to change and when we do not, can give us the second chance that we need. The second chance he really wants to give us. Then thirdly, we need finally to answer God's call upon our life and to obey whatever he says to do. If we really mean business, we're not just blowing smoke here to God. God can help us live the way we're supposed to. We have to submit, we have to obey him. But then he gives us the power in order to live for him as he wants us to. The biblical foundation for these three steps is found in a verse called uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10. 7, 7, 2 Corinthians 7.10 is where the apostle wrote these words. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now look at the contrast that Paul describes here between godly sorrow or grief and worldly sorrow or grief. These two kinds of grief are similar in that they both cause us great sorrow and grief and pain. The difference, however, is that with godly sorrow, there is a decision to change, a decision to repent, a decision to turn away from the sins that we have committed in order to actually live for God, to live exclusively for God. Worldly sorrow only ends in death, Paul says. 
both spiritually and eternally. But, but worldly sorrow uh, uh, brings more sorrow, more death. Godly sorrow over our sin produces salvation. It produces no regret. So there's a difference here. Are you sorrow, sorrowful for what you did? Are you grieving because you are a sinner, that you have mistakes in your life, you wish you had done things different than you had ever done? Does that now produce a repentance, a desire to change, a willingness to change, a, a, a commitment to change? God will know the difference, and we will see the consequences of our sorrow, whether it is worldly sorrow or godly sorrow. I want us to look at a, a kind of a, a, a study, a case study of one person's life, at least the first part of their life, and, and maybe a little bit of, of the latter part. And it's a, a guy named Isaiah. We find him in the Old Testament. Isaiah was one of the most important prophets of God in the nation of Israel. He was one of the biggest, uh, his book is one of the biggest books in the Old Testament. And it records his experiences, his prophecies that God gave him. And as we turn to Isaiah chapter 6, we hear and read about his call to become a prophet when God gave him a vision, a vision of, of the great throne room of God. And, and you might imagine uh, he'd been called up into this room that he had never seen, into this place that is beyond description. And when Isaiah goes into this room and he's transported into this room, he sees the glory of God and he immediately senses how sinful he is. That he has no business being there. That he has no right to stand before God. So what did he do then? What happened next? Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. What an awesome scene that Isaiah is transported into. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. <laughs> For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I go? Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And I said, Here I am. <laughs> send me. Send me. Notice how we see these three things we're talking about regret today demonstrated, exhibited in Isaiah's life. Notice how he acknowledged that he was a sinful person in the presence of Almighty God, Holy God. He felt dirty and ashamed and unworthy to even stand there. He had regrets. And then notice how Isaiah admitted out loud his sinfulness and even the sins of his entire nation. He didn't know how God would respond. But when he confessed his sins, then God responded by sending this seraph to forgive his sins and to cleanse him of the dirt and the shame that he felt. 
so that when he admitted his sins, God forgave his sins. Finally, notice how God then put out his call for someone to go on his behalf to the sinful nation of Israel. And notice how Isaiah answered that call. From that day forward, Isaiah had a very long and difficult life and ministry. But we never see any evidence of him looking back in shame or regret from this moment forward. When he accepts the call, he lives for God in obedience and in trust. What's more, as you look through the book of Isaiah... You see several things. You see God speaking to the nation of Israel. And, and through Isaiah, God told the nation of Israel and, and us, we, we could fit in there as, as part of this prophecy of what God wants to do with our regrets. What God wants to do to handle our regrets, to remove our regrets. Look at what he said in Isaiah 1, 18. He says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's desire is that we'd be clean, that we'd be free of regret. Israel was eventually punished and even exiled for their many sins against God. But through Isaiah, God spoke again and God shared his plans for them in the future. After you have been punished, after you've gone through the exile, look at the future I have for you. God's desire was for them to leave behind their old way of life and their regrets and then to live the life that he had chosen for them to live. Isaiah 43 says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And this morning as we're thinking about regrets, perhaps that's the message we hear most, need to hear from God. Forget the past. Don't dwell on the past because God wants to do a new thing in our lives. He is making a new way through the wilderness of this world. Do we want to be on it? Do we really want to be on that path? Do we want to follow what he has said? Do we want to answer the call he has placed upon us? And may all of us see that God is the God of second chances who is much more concerned with where we are heading than where we have been. I wonder if you've ever read the Apostle Paul's words about his former life and the regrets that he once had. By his own account, Paul said, you know, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man, 1 Timothy 1.13. And in his earlier life, as Saul of Tarsus, Paul was, was sent out as kind of a, a lieutenant or you know, the right-hand man for the, the chief priest to find Christians and bring them back for punishment. And so he had dragged Christian men and women from their homes to put them in prison. He had even chosen for some of them to be executed. And at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Paul stood by giving his approval, Acts 8, 1. How do you think Paul lived with himself? After he became a Christian. How, how did he somehow reckon all of this and, and make sense of it in his conscience? What do you think he did with all the sorrow and regret he must have felt? Well, as a matter of fact, we know what he did. 
Scripture tells us what he did. Acts chapter 9 tells us that while he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, that Jesus stopped him in his tracks right there and appeared to him in a vision, knocked him to the ground. And it says that Jesus confronted Paul and he told him to stop kicking against the goads, which is me basically saying, would you stop fighting me? Would you stop resisting what I'm trying to do? And then he struck Paul blind for the next three days. And he spent those three days, as you can imagine, you know, in a lot of thought, contemplation. What is going on here? What am I supposed to do? What is my life about? And at the end of that time, God sent a man named Ananias to tell Paul what he needed to do. That he was supposed to get up and be baptized and to wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And Ananias also told Paul that God had chosen him to be his special witness to the Jews and Gentiles of his generation. And Paul did what he was said, told to do, and he accepted God's call upon his life. Godly sorrow had done its work in Paul, and he repented of his sinful, selfish, prideful past. Now, Paul also wrote about this later to the Philippian believers, and he mentioned how he had been such a Jew of Jews, such a, a wonderful person, and he had all this pride in himself that he had been an important leader of the Jews, and, and his pedigree, his reputation, uh, you know, could not be questioned. Even says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, you know, I was the cream of the crop. There wasn't anybody you could point to better than me. But then he said, I surrendered to Jesus. And all that pride went out the window. And here's what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, starting with verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing uh, worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He's talking about the past. I lost all that. doesn't matter. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. That's what I want, Paul's saying. Not what I had in the past. Not the fame, not the reputation, not the pedigree I had before. I want Christ. That's all I want. And I want to know Him. I go down to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says. I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that we don't have to live with regret. We don't have to live in regrets. Whatever we have done or whatever we have not done that we wished we had, God can redeem that. And whatever mistakes we have made, God can fix them by giving us a second chance and the power to do better the next time. 
And so what he is asking us to do is to let go of the past and trust God with our future and to stop living a life of regrets. We should never live a coulda, woulda, shoulda life again. You know, just be done with that. And if God has been wanting you to do something, then do it. If he's been wanting you to try something that you think you might mess up, just go do it. Don't put it off. And if he wants you to go make peace with someone that you've been at odds with, don't hesitate. Go make peace. Don't make excuses because you failed at something in the past. God will help you to learn from those mistakes and you'll do so much better with him now. If you see something that needs to be done, don't say somebody needs to do that. Be that somebody. Be that person that God is saying, step in there and do what you can do with what I've shown you needs to be done. Answer the call that God has placed on your life, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are. No excuses, no matter how many mistakes we have made in the past, those are behind us. And Jesus Christ is in front of us. Answer the call God has placed on your life. Don't be like the rich man who regretted his life choices right on into eternity. Be like Paul who said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. God, I thank you for your message today to our hearts, to my heart in particular, Lord. When we would live in regrets or we would think about all the mistakes we've made and they're just hanging over us like a shadow, Lord, you don't want us to live there any longer. You want us to see what you have given us in Jesus Christ, an opportunity to serve you, to love you, to be used by you however you see fit, and the power to do those things. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you give us that is not only a grace to save us, but it also grace to redeem our lives and to make them everything you want them to be. If someone is struggling today, Lord, may they hear this message loud and clear. And may their lives be changed from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.